Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your coach, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Just delighted to be with you. Very excited for you folks because we have a gem of a guest on the show here today. I've been a fan of her long before she was ever even doing this because I've been pals with her dad for about 20 years. Her name is Rachel Cruz. She's a national best-selling author, financial expert, host of the Rachel Cruz Show. She served at Ramsey Solution there since 2010. That's hard to believe helping people avoid debt, save money, and learn how to win with the money game uh, at any stage in life. She's written a few books. One she wrote with her dad, which I thought was great, which is Love Your Life, Not Theirs, and Smart Money, Smart Kids, which I thought was fantastic. The Smart Money one has been essential reading for all my family, all six of my kids. Uh, her latest book is Know Yourself and Know Your Money. I think this is fabulous, uh, and we're going to dive into that today. Discover why you handle money the way you do and what to do about it. It's Rachel Cruz. I could go on and on and on. Thanks for joining us today. It's just a pleasure to have you. Absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me on. It's so good to see you. I know yeah. we're just we're talking, but I see you, which is so yeah. fun too. No, it's great. It's great. Well, listen, uh, I talked about I'll be coming out to see you folks in October and hanging out with all the Ramsey crew and your dad and everybody else. But you know, I'm gonna ask you a question. I wanna dive in here. We've got a book by an audience that loves financial stuff. And I really think this is fresh. Uh, you know, know yourself, know your money. It's that understanding yourself and whatever else. I have a question that you can help me with, though, to start with. I can't you know, wait. I got, I got six kids. I built this big business and broadcasting and all over the world and real estate and all that kind of stuff. And yet I look at you and you've done phenomenal of being connected inside your dad's work life, inside the same space. And yet you're your own person with your own take on things. And yet you're still very connected to the dad's mission. He's larger than life, cast a giant shadow. How have you been able to navigate that? <laughs> How long do we have, Brian? How long yeah. do we have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, I think for me, honestly, I'll say this first and foremost. I think if it was my mom, I think a daughter-to-mom relationship may mm. have been tougher. Like I know okay. father-son. So the fact that it's my dad and I'm a daughter, that dynamic already, I feel like, gives a lot of grace. And yeah. so for me, though, I had to push back early on when people would say, well, do you just want to be the next Dave Ramsey? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking in my head, and then I just started vocalizing. I'm like, I mean, he's a bald 50-year-old man. Like, no, I don't <laughs> want to be the next Dave Ramsey. And I'm like, no, that's not me at all. And he's kind of your fun Uncle Dave that'll give it to you like it is, the hard right. truth. That's why everyone loves him. And that's yep. why he's honestly so successful and a great radio right. host because, man, Don't be he... stupid. That's right. That's right. That's right. But I'm like, I would never do that. That right. I, I wouldn't go about it in that way in yeah. my personal life. Right. And so I'm like, you know, and, and him always telling us, be who you are, no matter mm -hmm. where you are. So I was like, I just need to get comfortable with Rachel Cruz. Like, who am I? And then let that show on my show, my podcast, my writing, just being myself. And so honestly, Brian, thankfully, I was able to do that fairly early. Wasn't perfect at it. Still not perfect at it. But early on in my career, because now my career gives me when I'm in this spot and I get to do this, I get energy from it. It's really just me. 
versus trying to be someone else that I think can yeah. be really draining and exhausting. So I'm thankful for that and thankful that they kind of let me do my thing too. You know, I get to yeah. still be Rachel and and it's great. So No, it is great. I, and I've told Dave many times, you know, uh, he, he gets a lot of accolades. He's achieved so much and done so much and helped so many people. But at the end of the day, for me, you know, I'm in the environment with a lot of guys that have failed at home and have won uh. everywhere else. And, uh, you know, for you to be here today and your family and who you are and, you know, the whole thing, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It's as, it's as good a testimony to what your mom and dad think and believe and act than anything else. So the book, let's dive right in. You know, know yourself, know your money. This is, a, you know, in our dynamic at Buffini Company, we've coached hundreds of thousands of people, trained millions. We help them in their business and then we help them with their finances and the rest of their lives. But who they are shows up. You know, and who you are and how you interact. You know, people have an emotional relationship with money and business and so on and so forth. And so you talk about two main fears, and fears we've always found in coaching people is the main driver uh, that typically people have with money. One is the lack of security, and then the other is these external forces. I just think it's the heart of the matter. It shows up, and you really address it beautifully in the book. Can you talk on that for us from your perspective? Just how do people handle this? How do we combat the lack of security and those external forces? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, and fear is so interesting. And I interviewed Dr. Chip Dodd about the subject specifically because I wanted to hear what he had to say because he talks about fear a lot. And he actually said when we were talking on the phone, he said, you know, Rachel, fear can actually be a gift. Fear is your body's response that you are in need of something. Now, when that goes to anxiety or it goes to it's paralyzing and you can't move and make decisions, obviously that's the bad fear. We don't want that to dictate your life. But when you have this initial knee-jerk fear, listen to that and actually say, okay, what's going on? And so I look back even on 2020, uh, I wrote the book before the pandemic, which is funny. I was doing my editing during the pandemic. So there were a couple of things. I was like, oh, I'm going to add this and this and this. Because, you know, people will say, yeah, well, I I have this fear that if I lose my job, you know, we're not going to be okay financially because we don't have security. And I'm like, well, that's a legitimate fear. So what is that fear telling you? It's telling you that you're living paycheck to paycheck, that you don't have any savings, that you're dependent upon debt to live your life. So yeah, duh, like there's going to be a fear. So let's let's make that a tool and see that as a gift to do something different Mm -hmm. so that that fear can be eliminated. And so pushing in that, but that security, man, that's a huge one. It used to be that was the top financial fear among women, the lack of security. And then I think really post-pandemic, it became everyone's fear. And so Mm. again, waking that up to say, what do I have to do different? What does it look like to not owe anyone anything? What does it look like to actually budget and be in control and know what I'm spending? Like these things help eliminate that fear. And then the external forces. Again, I hate to go back to 2020, but I'm like, this is exactly what happened, right? Like people, mm-hmm. and I did for a season, you 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 watch the news and you wring your hands about what, you know, what they're going to do on the health side, what they're going to do on the financial side, what, what are they going to pass in Congress? And I got to this point where I just thought, I can't control that. Right. Like I'm sitting in Nashville, Tennessee. There's not much I can do about that. What can I do? Well, I can control my work ethic. I can control my attitude around things. I can control the people I'm actually surrounding myself with and who are who's speaking into my life. Like there are areas of our life that we have that somewhat control over. Right. So focusing on those things versus these external forces that it's like you don't really have much control over those. So when right. you sit there wringing your hands and put your energy towards that, it ends up you get a net negative. Or it's a great excuse, right? I mean, yes, uh, it's a yeah. great, hey, you know, the government did this and the government did that and the taxes are too high and the this and the that. I mean, I'm in California 
You're in, you're oh, in yeah. <laughs> Nashville. Right? I, I, got, I got reasons. Now, here's the thing. Uh, I talked to somebody then. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm in California. I went outside this morning. It was 72 degrees. That's what I'm paying for. You know, here, here's the deal. This is the opportunity I have. And, and I'm not going to wait for the governor. I'm not going to wait for the taxes to change. I'm not waiting for anything. Let's go. I, I think you just said something that's huge here about how fear can be helpful. And I think people run away. It's like stress. Right? You, know, you don't want too much stress in your life. But there are stressors that can help you. I just had a conversation this morning, 40-year-old guy, great dude, done a great job, loves his wife and his kids, faithful guy at work, but he, he finally had a wake-up call. He had a wake-up call. He's like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a retirement. Uh, oh, my gosh, my kids, you know, they just entered high school, and I don't have college education set aside. I've done all this work. And I actually, I told him, you need to get this book because, you know, here's a guy that's a great guy. His dad was a pastor, so his mm -hmm. dad lived, you know, Cleanliness is next to godliness. Some people think, you know, brokenness is right next to godliness. That's right. You know? that's right. <laughs> let, me sh let me show you how faithful I am by having the holes in my shoes. And I said to him, dude, you know, you have a great opportunity here and you're okay. Recognize you've messed up. Recognize it's time to take a different attack and then learn everything you can. And I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm starting them on a kind of a diet, a regimen of things to listen to, to immerse himself in it. And you say it in the book, you, you know, you can't change what you don't know. And I just find, like, here's a great guy. He's a very, very smart individual. Yep. He does a wonderful job in his career. But he's totally ignorant about money. It's here's what mom and dad did. Here's what yes. I do. And he's living the same life as his mom and dad, uh, you know, who was a traveling pastor. And they lived in a motorhome. And so right. you can't change what you don't know. And I just think, what, what do you think in regards to people's financial literacy and immersing themselves in books and resources like this? Well, I think it's huge. And I think for a couple of things, number one, like what you just said, I'm like, yes. And it takes a level of humility mm. to be able to say, I don't have it all. Yep. And I think a lot of people feel this need, whether you call it pride or you know, to survive. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And asking for help, they feel like is weakness. But actually, when you say, I don't have it all, teach me you actually are the one that gains stuff, right? I mean, you're mm -hmm. the one that actually says, okay, I get new information. And so I think that that is just, it, it's, a, it's a character factor that is so needed in so many areas of our life. But I think part of that learning is to be able to say, yeah, I, I don't know it all. So I need to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, and then pushing yourself to change. Because I think some people are at a really extreme place with their money where they say, oh my gosh, you know, I only have four years left or we have nothing in our savings, and they feel this urgency to change. And then other people don't. I mean, I talked to some people like, yeah, I mean, we have credit cards, like, you know, a little bit of savings. I don't know. Like, yeah, we lease car. You know, we kind of just do everything, and we're fine. And I'm like, okay, then that, that yeah, do what you want to do. I'm not going to obviously force you to change, but right. there's not enough pain in their situation right. to change. And I don't think pain has to be our only teacher, but I think it's very thorough. Like, when you feel pain, <laughs> you're like, okay, I will change something. And so there's an element yeah. to this change that is really difficult. So when you do learn something new, yeah. you're going to have to say, okay, I'm going to have to probably do something different. And change is uncomfortable. It's hard. We don't like it. We just want to keep doing what we know. Uh, I mean, even just a few weeks ago, I have, I have three little. So I have a, three little kids. I have a six-year-old, an almost four-year-old, and an 18-month-old. So I took out all the car seats the other day, and I cleaned out like our van, and I put in the wrong car seats. I switched the two on accident. So my three-year-old goes to get in the car, and she's like, no, Mom, this isn't. This is my side of the van. I'm like, oh, yeah, but yeah. your car seat's on this side. And, Brian, you would have think I was, like, torturing her. <laughs> oh, it was this no. whole meltdown. It's that whole thing. And I'm like, we're late. Yep. Please just sit in there. But it just reminded me. I'm like, she hates change. She knows yep. her perspective, what she's comfortable with, what she yep. likes. And I'm like, you could be three. You could be 83. 
it's uncomfortable. So yeah. I just encourage people when you learn something new and you know, okay, that outcome is going to be better than my presence, but it's going to force me to change what I've been doing. It's going to be uncomfortable, but push mm. through that because yeah. you're going to get better. It's going to be better on the other side. And you, you, you mentioned something that, you know, as, as, a, as a business coach for people, you know, it's hard to deal with, which is the person who's dancing on the edge of the cliff and doesn't know it. And, and experience is the cruelest of all teachers. Mm. You know, that pain you're talking about, it's a cruel teacher. And, and you don't have to subject yourself to that cruelty. You, you can be proactive and listen to the shows and listen to Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz and get coaching and get help and read the books and do all these things. Um, so because a lot of people are just wandering through it yet. And also people make pain their comfort zone. You know, I always think of the movie Shawshank Redemption and the librarian who's released and eventually ends his life because he was uncomfortable with freedom. Mm -hmm. And as you know, you know, some people, they get out of debt and they get right back in because that's their comfort zone. Or, hey, I got motivated years ago. I mean, I, I'm from the real estate business. People say, you know, they used to train this. This was in the training of real estate when I first got in the business. Buy a car you can't afford. That'll motivate you to make your sales calls. And so, here, so, for, so okay, it could yeah. work. And you're 30 years of age and it, you, it worked. Now people are 42 and they do that with a house. And now all of a sudden, oh, my gosh. Oh, it's one thing to work your way out of a car. It's another thing to work yourself out of a house you can't pay for and so on and so forth. And so that dynamic of, of learn, you know, before the pain, be proactive, make it better for yourself. Now, we found that, like, for example, we won't coach somebody in real estate who doesn't have a budget. We won't do it. Mm. If you don't have your budget and stuff, we'll help you for the first year. After a year, if you don't do it, you're not our client. Because no matter how much money you make, you're not going to be economically successful. And one day you're going to turn around and blame us. So no, no. So... I love this. I went into the seven major tendencies. So if we can go rapid fire through this. So number one, spender versus saver. Talk to us about the tendency. Yes. So these tendencies, neither one is right or wrong. So as we go through these lists, there's not a right and a wrong. But the spender versus saver feels right or wrong in the financial world. People applaud mm. the savers because they're responsible and great. And the spenders are like, oh, you're the irresponsible, immature person. But I'm a natural spender. That's my natural bit anyway. So I'm like... No, we can be spenders and be wise and have patience and all of that. But your natural knee-jerk reaction when you get money, whether it's a paycheck or a gift or whatever it is, do you just naturally tend to save it? You, you put it away or do you just naturally spend it? And just to name that simple tendency it is helpful when it comes to your money just to know where you're at. So that one's yeah. a pretty self-explanatory one. I got yeah. six kids. I got three natural spenders. I got three natural savers. <laughs> yeah. I'm a natural saver. My bride's a natural spender. But I, I had a woman who mentored me years ago. She was an 80-year-old woman, and she said, Brian, spend money fearlessly mm. for needed things. And I had realized at that point in time, I never enjoyed spending money. I just had an image, by the way, of you at a mall in Nashville. That's Dave Ramsey's daughter. She's buying, <laughs> she's buying shoes. <laughs> like, it's a debit card. It's a debit card. <laughs> That's got to be a lot of pressure. Yeah. Okay, great, great next tendency. Nerd or free spirit. Yeah, these are the kind of, this is a Ramsey kind of coined phrase that we have. Yeah. But when it comes specifically to the budget, I mean, other areas of money, but specifically the budget, yeah, the nerd is the detailed one. They usually enjoy being in control. They know what's going on. They love it. And then the free spirit is more, yeah, that everything's going to work out. It's going to be okay. So freaked out. So, and what's funny within marriage is usually opposites mm -hmm. attract with the saver and spender, but also this nerd and free spirit. And it is, yeah, you usually know exactly who the nerd is if you're a nerd or a free spirit pretty pretty off the bat. 
the how to on that because I have a I have my wife is big picture. Hey, God provides it all. Isn't it great? <laughs> and and she doesn't spend a dollar on herself. Like she does. I have mm. to. Hey, honey, go buy yourself something. Come on, you get you know your closet's empty. You know that. Yeah. So I have yeah. to push her to spend money on herself. Doesn't care what she drives or any of that stuff. But when it comes to the kids or grandkids or this, oh, honey, Anna needs another horse. I was just in jail. <laughs> and, and so how do we we navigate it this way? My spender nerd side comes up with the outline. Mm-hmm. Like here's here's our here's what we agree on our values. We go off site once a year. Then once a quarter, we have a little redo. And then we do our budget. We've done this for 31 years. And I, I create the box. So I'm the nerd who creates the box. And then she can go, she can do anything she wants in that box. I love that. She can that. do anything she wants out. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to send me a text. You don't tell me what you're doing. Now she does. Hey, is this sure. a good decision or whatever else? And we're on the same page. But I go inside that box, and there's 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 all kinds of wiggle rooms here and wiggle room there. And I think that's important. Lots of grace and most people under budget. But for us, that's how the nerd and the free spirit coexist. And where money is a blessing to us and not a curse, we don't have. And and when we 31 years ago, our first discussions as husband and wife were edgy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And yes. until we came to this, hey, so that's just how we do it. And I've seen this played out. That's why I know this stuff is so true. I've I've seen it in my own life. Okay. Experiences person or things person. Yes. So when you do spend money, whether you're a saver or spender, do you tend to spend it on experiences? So vacation. I mean, this is me. So I will spend money on a great meal out or taking my kids yeah. to the zoo. Like I like an experience yeah. or actual items, things. Where That's my husband. So his whole mm-hmm. philosophy, he's like, if I'm going to work hard and make money, I'm going to buy something that's going to enhance my life that I get to right. use it over and over. And, you know, so whether we laugh, because even our Christmas lists, like when we talk about like, yeah, what do we want for Christmas? I mean, I'm like, give me a day at the spa. And he's like, I want Alexa light bulbs to screw in that I can like, you know, light it up by asking Alexa. <laughs> like, like we're so, it's always things versus experiences. And right. I used to, as an experienced person, and we can do this with all the tendencies, but I would look at him, for instance, and I'm like, oh, you're just no fun. Like, you know, yeah. get a glass of wine at dinner. Like, let's just splurge. You're okay. Like, we can spend. And he's like, it's not that I'm a Debbie Downer. He's like, I just don't value it the way that you do, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh. So it's like this, it's a total just different personality thing. But I think there's a level of respect you have, specifically when you're married, right? That yeah. your differences, you see, okay, there's strengths in both. Um, but just knowing how you spend, because that's going to get into the budget conversation too, because the sure. experienced person is going to want to up certain categories, or the things person is like, no, we need to make this purchase here, there, and, and all that. Right. So just knowing it is helpful. I, I think you'll enjoy this. One of the things we've figured out here, and it was interesting to see it written down this way, but in coaching people, one of the things we find is we can create enormous motivation for people if they set their goals around their tendency like this. Yeah. So, for example, we had a woman, she's in the real estate business. She makes about 120 grand a year, year over year, year over year, five, six, seven years in a row. And then all of a sudden her coach, she comes along, gets into coach, and we start working with her. And, and she's like, well, what, do you, what, do you, what, what motivates you? What inspires you? Da, da. And she wanted to take her entire family, all of her family, all of her relatives, and in and three weeks to Disney. All expenses paid, da 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 wow. It was 27 people. That year, that woman made $800,000 in commission. Like, she had, she had seven years of plodding along at the same but launched to exponential execution, was so diligent and disciplined in everything she did. She could see it. 
She had a picture of it. The coach had her bed Disney stuff all over the place, and we're going to do this. And when they had private rooms, and she spent big dough on that trip. But you know what? She netted about six hundred grand that year because of the daggone trip. <laughs> because of it, so, yes. So in that case, spending the money, the vision mm-hmm. of it, that experience became the goal. And some people think, no, it's buy the house and get the car. And that can be a goal, too. But for folks who are more experience-based, it can unleash. If you really go there emotionally and visualize it, boy, it can really make you disciplined. The next thing you know, you make a lot of money and do a lot of good things to go reach that goal. So, again, I validate that tendency enormously. Uh, This is an interesting one, Uh, quality person or quantity person. That was kind of a new wrinkle for me. Tell me what you think about that. Yes. So do you tend to, yeah, uh, when you buy things, do you want usually less expensive but options? So this is me, like my clothes or my, you know, Brian, I love that. We're just chatting about clothes and earrings, but we're going to for a second. (laughs) But like, but I'm like, I don't need like super nice designer things. You know, I'm like, I can go mid-level and just have different options. I like the variety versus quality, which again, we're opposite, my husband and I, but Winston is, he is quality. He's like, if I'm going to buy a nice pair of boots, I'm going to have three pairs and they're going to last me and I'm going to be the best, you know, the best leather, you know, all this mm-hmm. stuff. I'm like, eh, just go get a, go get five pairs and just, they can be cheaper, you know? So it's just right. knowing how you, how you spend it. And, and again, mm-hmm. all these tendencies, not one, one is not right or wrong, but the extremes of these can be. So for a, for right. a quantity person, I have to filter through that. I can justify my purchases because they're more inexpensive. And so I, I did this a lot, like, especially during quarantine times. I would get on Amazon and I would just be bored almost and just go spend. But I would justify it being, oh, it's just $20 or oh, it's $35. It's not a big deal. And I would just rack up, honestly, a bunch of crap that I really didn't need. Right. And I had to start asking myself, I was like, why am I doing this? I'm like, because I'm bored. Mm. And I thought, why am I okay not just being bored. Why do I feel the need to get this adrenaline pumping, you know, the dopamine Mm. of spending money and, you know, so the quantity is not bad, but we can justify our purchases to maybe put a bandaid over deeper things going on. Yeah. And that's great. And I I, want to jump on one thing you keep saying, which is, Hey, it's not right or wrong. A lot of times people say that as a soft soap, you know, I don't want to create, make any waves, but in this regard, you know, especially you're talking about relationships, it's easy to think my way is the best. I mean, it's right, easy right. for me to, hey, I'm the saver. I'm the, the budget guy. I, I'm the, you got to provide for the family and we have the, all the, the ducks in a row. It's easy. And, and the market will justify that. Hey, we became millionaires. Hey, we have no debt. Hey, and the market will justify that. And therefore, it becomes my way is right and your way is wrong. And I think when you say it's not right or wrong, because at the end of the day, it's it's us. And how do we make it work? Because there's no point, uh, you know, I, I've said to people in marriage conferences I've spoken, there's no point being right and being alone. You know, right. <laughs> congratulations, you're right and you're alone. You know, for my bride and I have a completely, I mean, I'm white, she's black. I'm from Ireland, she's from the South, you know. And, uh, but we've made it work and we've made it work and become ours. And I think, you know, when you keep saying it's not right or wrong, I think it's, that's a profound point because we get so judgmental about it and we get so stuck on it and then it causes a lot of division. Yeah, because the truth is, Brian, too, again, these extremes is where it gets unhealthy and it gets wrong. Mm. And so like, you know, like we, the first one, saver versus spender. Again, I laugh because I'm like the savers are always applauded in the financial world because a spender usually on the extreme side, yeah, they're the broke ones. They're the ones that literally spend everything they make. They cannot seem to save. And that's very irresponsible. But in the same regard, the legalism of a saver on the on the mm. extreme side who holds money so tightly, it literally becomes another god to them. It becomes a security 
mm. that is unhealthy, that if that foundation is ever shaken, they almost don't even know who they are. You know, that that there's a side of that too. So those extremes mm. you definitely have to watch for. But those middle, the middle side of it where you're like, okay, we're kind of in the middle here. This is where I lean. It's right. it's so I love it. I think it's so fun. It's always a little bit of Switzerland, right? We gotta yeah. find Switzerland. <laughs> that's yeah. right. We'll be a little neutral here. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Safety person or status person? You kind of touched on this a second. Just talk about yeah, that. So this question is, why do you want money? Mm. And for some people, they want it for just security reasons, right? I want to sleep at night. I want to know if something happens, we're going to be okay. Yeah. And then status. Status sounds bad. I couldn't find another word, honestly. But mm-hmm. this is not a bad thing. But status is more, I want money so I can enjoy life. I want money so we can go on a great vacation. I want money so we can buy a fun car. I want it to be able to do things. So this is, mm-hmm. again, husband and I are so different. And when we talk about our end-of-the-year goals, I love hearing what you and your wife do because with Winston and I, we we built a house and moved in the end of 2019. And, I mean, for years, like, that was our thing. Like, we cut light. I mean, we were pushing for that. And then after it happened, it was like, what do we do? Like, in 2020, obviously, yeah. there was everything or the all the craziness <laughs> happened. But it was like, financially, we thought, oh my gosh, this is like the first time we need a new goal. We hadn't had a new goal in a long time. Right. And so— Talking, and it was funny because Winston's goal was literally a number in the bank. He was like, I just want to play a game and get a number in the bank. And my follow-up question was, what are we going to do with that money? Like, Mm -hmm. if I know, because we're going to take a small percentage of it, and you and I are going to go on a fun week-long vacation without the kids, I'm like, I can get on board with that number. Like, if I know (laughs) that there's going to be something coming out of it, it's great. So just knowing, again, your motivation on why you want money. Is it more for security purposes or is it because you want to use it as a tool to go and do things? Right. That accomplishment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Uh, Last two, abundance person or scarcity person? Yeah. Kind of our classic. I feel like people talk about this a lot, but it's just true. I mean, yeah. Do you see the glass half full? Do you think there's more opportunity, more options, more relationships, always more choices? You can always do more and figure something out on that abundance side. And that scarcity is definitely the closed fist, hold tight, and we're gonna we're gonna be cautious with every decision. And 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 again, you say these are tendencies. You know, for me, look, I grew up in Ireland. We had a famine. The mm. greatest poverty any culture can ever have is that you die of starvation. We had eight million people, and then we had three and a half million. Right. Mm. So a million die, million and a half die starved, a million and a half died trying to get somewhere, and a million and a half made it to Australia and America and populated the rest of the world. So in our culture, there's a scarcity mentality. And then I came to the States and had this motorcycle accident. And I'm, you know, I've got 250 grand in bills and I'm 19 years old and I'm a long way. I was a scarcity person. That was my tendency. But I have over the years now become an abundance person. And that's what I, I want to encourage people is, you know, this is true, but it's a tendency. And through discipline or foresight or awareness, you can you can grow. Now, when, when the pressure comes on, the scarcity flares up. Right, 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 right. Right, the recession hits. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but but you can, and you can be a spender who enjoys saving. You can be that's a right. nerd who gets a little free-spirited. And I think, you know, I think that's really one of the things you bring up. Last point of the seven here is a spontaneous giver or planned giver. This is a good one. Yes. So when it comes to giving, which is a huge part, obviously, of our message is to win with money so that you can help tons of people. But even in that... What does that look like for you? Does it look like just yeah, you, you hear a cause and you're like, oh, okay, I'll do that, or you give the four dollar or the dollar at the grocery store checkout, you know, for the local hospital. You're like, yes, you just kind of just give, give, give whenever it's asked, and you don't think much about it. Or are you more calculated? You you are more thorough. You actually look into what you're giving to. You probably make a 
I would say possibly even a bigger impact because you're strategic with it. There's thought mm-hmm. behind it. Um, but knowing those two are or is really important, again, in the marriage aspect, too, just to know, hey, right. my spouse, here's my knee-jerk tendency. There can be a rub there. Yeah. And again, Beverly and I, actually, we're going this evening for our annual off-site. Oh, and nice. um, one of the things we do, we have a foundation and so on and so forth, but we have our big plan giving, and then we establish a budget that is has no names on it. And it's stuff that comes up, and she loves that. She really loves that. A circumstance comes up, this is going on, this person has this need, whatever else. And, and how you do it and without ruining yourself is we have a budget for it. And it's just set aside. We'll have the big plan giving stuff for the foundation, and then over here we have this other stuff, and it's here, here it goes. And so, you know, I, I just love this. In my 31 years of marriage and finances and going from broke to not broke, uh, I really know it to be true. And I know you got a great heritage there from your dad, but I, I really love your take on stuff, Rachel. I think it's great. I think it's neat. It, your personality does shine through. It's It has that little different flavor than your pops. And, you know, there's principles that are in common, but there's applications that are different. And I think it's really, really cool. You know, we've had every famous person you can imagine on this show, and I asked them five impromptu questions to finish. Oh, I can't wait. so uh, for the book purposes, go out and get the book. If you're talking about money, you know, if you want to spend 20 or 25 bucks and bless yourself and find out how to do it, uh, go get it. I think it's great, and uh, I think people will be blessed. Those seven things will jump off the page for you. Uh, So here's a rapid-fire question, Rachel. What's the best single piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I mean, it's kind of the golden rule, but it's just true. Like, I mean, I think just treating others of how I want to be treated. And I do that and with my kids, with my husband, with people I don't like necessarily. I think all of that. I think that there's a there's a, a refreshing level of that that I think is missing in this world. Just that yeah. level of respect to people. Beautiful. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Oh, I'll say this, Brian. I wish I could sing. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I look at people like doing arena concerts. I'm like, I could do that. I could totally do that. I just can't sing. <laughs> it's about, I'd say, sing or play music in front of a crowd is about 97% of the people I've asked. So when really? mom was giving us those piano lessons and we blew them off and the singing yes. lessons, everybody has that, you know, it's, it's the most common it. answer. That's oh, how great. funny, how funny. That's great. What wooden book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, one book. I, I love to read. The one that I've loved the most, that I go back to probably the most recently is Voice of the Heart. I mentioned Dr. Chip Dot earlier in the show, yeah. but he he walks through the seven main emotions every human has and the the impaired side of each emotion and the gift side of each emotion where we think mm. there's like good emotions and bad emotions where he actually mm. shows you the, the things. But I mean, even simple things like anger is one and there's mm. always another emotion attached to anger. Nice. And so even like in my, you know, in marriage or, or within other relationships, like, man, if I can just pinpoint and be able to verbalize what I'm feeling and understanding, it shows so much of my motivation, what's going on. So voice of the heart. I love voice it. Voice of the heart. That's, that's a new one. I love it. Chip Dodd. Well, we'll, we'll probably have to get him on here. Okay. Um, I don't know if you're much of a movie person, but if there's one movie you watch, you've watched over and over again, and every time it's on, you kind of stop. What one would that be? The one that came to my head because it just happened a few nights ago, so I'm laughing about it, and I can't. I, I guess this would be it, which is so quirky. Shooter, Mark Wahlberg. Have you seen that? <laughs> With like the, That's it's always on TV, 
and I always want to watch it when I see it on like TNT. And I'm like, I want to sit here and watch it again. I, lo- I love conspiracies. Uh, I love corruption. I love government stuff. Uh, all of that there is it my is. cup of tea. So maybe there that. It is. That's great. <laughs> hey, who knew? Mark Wahlberg. That's great. And then uh, lastly, when I say the good life, what does the good life mean to you? Oh, the good life. Um, I mean, my family, my my kids, husband mm. popping my head right now in this mm. season of life. I just, we took our two girls um, on vacation last week. We left the baby at home with the grandparents, which was actually brilliant. So we had the two girls, and it was the first time, Brian, as a mom, we had no strollers, no diapers, no cribs. And these two little girls, I mean, we played cards at night. We went to restaurants and actually ate, and they sat down in a seat. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm tasting that part of parenting, and <laughs> yeah. we had we had so much fun. It was honestly the most fun we've had with our kids on a trip. I was like, this is amazing. So, so yeah, the good life is that kind of thing. Like, when I'm, like, with when, when we're together, and half the time it's insane, and it's crazy. I know. It's not always perfect. But when the times are just sweet and good, you're just like, man, God, this is it. Like, this is— This is the best. This is it. Yeah. Well, as a father of six and my, my last two, we are official empty nesters. I say soak it up. We enjoyed every bit of it. Mm. Uh, we, we didn't miss a thing. And uh, it's great. I would say your next book that people would line up out the door is How to Do Both. You know, you're doing a great job. You're doing an f- awesome job with Ramsey. You're doing a great job with your books and your, your, your really your calling here, and you're bringing your great slice to it. And we have a lot of mutual friends. And I know you're killing it as a, as a mom and a wife, and, and you're, you're, you're doing great. And, never, and by the oh. way, no one ever feels like they're killing it who actually is in the middle of it, right? All you feel is how I'm messing up my kids every day. You think about what you're not doing. I could be better at work. I could be better at home. And uh, but I do think uh, that might be your next bestseller, just so you know. So, Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that in my head. I really there am. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you no, so much. You're Thanks doing a great compliment. job. Well, really it's a pleasure that. having you on here today. I know you're a blessing to a lot of people. Uh, I know a bunch of folks will be running out to get this, and they'll do well by it. It's great to see. You. I look forward to seeing you October when I head down to Nashville. Yes, absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Such an honor. I really appreciate it. Great to see you. God bless. All right, well, with that said, I'm going to finish up with a little Irish blessing here today from my mom, Therese, my little 90-year-old mom who told me how to not only know myself but know my money, and she's still doing it today. And so as we leave here today, I'll send you over to Therese Buffini for a little Irish blessing. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.